welcome to the unofficial UPAN podcast. My name is Paula Bautista, and as always, I'm your host. So, if I got the upload schedule right, which hopefully I did, uh, this episode should be coming out uh, in the middle of April, of May uh, 2018. In fact, on the day of commencement for the class of 2018. So, first off, congratulations to all of the graduating seniors, both um, from the undergraduate and graduate schools at Penn. Uh, welcome to the UPenn uh, and the alumni family uh, from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, congratulations on all your work you've done, and uh, looking forward to having you, you know, get involved in the future. Um, all right, congratulations aside, um, this episode we're actually going to be talking to someone who's a recent graduate. Um, uh, I've alluded to him in the past, I believe, in, in another intro, but this week we're talking to David Tai. Um, college class of 2018. Um, he's a Philadelphia native, and he's also the recipient of uh, UPAN's Student Leadership Award for class of 2018, uh, specifically for his work that he's done for the first-generation low-income or Figley uh, community on campus. Um, you know, This is definitely something that has gained a lot more awareness um, in recent years. Um, in fact, the Power of Penn campaign that is coming up uh, is had one of their key uh, initiatives is to to help develop, uh, you know, more programming and support for Figley students um, on Penn. So, you know, David definitely is, you know, one of the people, especially within the APA community, who's been pushing on this. Um, though, as he says, this is a movement, not just an individual effort. So, shout out to everyone else who's been involved with that. Um, yeah, so I talked to him, you know, about um, his time at Penn, his time before Penn, growing up as a as a Figley individual, um, and you know where he's going from here. He's actually going to be going back to Vietnam for a year to teach English uh, as part of the Fulbright program, um, and he'll be going to San Francisco afterwards. So you know, definitely looking forward to having David and all the other graduating you know seniors get involved with UPenn um, after graduation. Uh, but without further ado, here is David um, and the interview. Catch you on the other side. Bye. So thanks again for coming on the podcast, David. Um, <laughs> thanks for having me. Yeah, so this is a bit different than our typical podcast. Uh-huh. Uh, usually we interview alum, and technically you're not quite an alum <laughs> yet. You're, as of the recording, what, two, three weeks out? Yeah, from, three weeks. Three weeks out from graduation, but you'll still need an alum, so I think close yes. enough. And uh, we also, uh, you, uh, congratulations again, you're the recipient of the UPenn Student Leadership Award yeah. uh, this year for your work with the First Generation Low Income. Um, what's like a quick way to refer to that? Just Figley, I guess? Yeah, say Figley, yeah, okay, that's definitely. Cool. So if we refer to Figley in this episode, you know what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so you know, usually you want to, like obviously you don't have a ton of stuff post to talk about, but you've done so much on campus that you really <laughs> want to talk about and you know let um, let this kind of also be a record of I guess for people coming in the future to hear what you've done and maybe inspire them to, to do the same. So all right, well, let me start uh, before you got to Penn. So, uh, from my understanding, you're a Philadelphia native, yes, correct? Yes, definitely. So, talk yeah. about you know, growing up in Philadelphia, what family life was like mm-hmm. at home. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I have two brothers. Um, I have an older brother and a younger brother, and we're about, well, I'm one year apart from both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, we were born and raised in, like, inner city Philadelphia, mm-hmm. essentially kind of like... What neighborhood? Point Breeze. Okay. Um... I kind of grew up with brothers who, we, we had our differences, um, we all lived in one room um, mm-hmm. growing up and I think that kind of like brought us closer but at the same time there was still like differences amongst us. Um, growing up I was always just curious to learn different things. Um, I remember like dabbling on the piano a little bit and I realized I was really interested in that. Yeah. And then my mom signed me up for like piano lessons mm-hmm. and I had gotten like financial aid and some scholarships that allowed me to afford piano lessons. Okay. Um, and then in middle school, actually, so dating back, like I went to a Catholic school for three years okay. and then I went to a charter school. Um, where I taught myself violin and then when I got into high school I started taking violin lessons Um, uh, but growing up like I think my family dynamic is interesting Um, I love both my parents Um, I grew up in the church a lot (laughs) Um, so every Sunday I would go to Chinese church in the morning and then I would Mm -hmm. go to Vietnamese church in the evening I'm half Chinese, half Vietnamese. Okay. Um, both my parents were born in Vietnam, but my mom is ethnically Chinese. Okay. So, in the states, like both my parents 
communicate with each other in Vietnamese, but they communicate with my brothers and me in Chinese. Interesting. Okay. So, <laughs> like, it's also part of like what are the you love knowing? Uh, so, so, obviously, you know Chinese. Do you, do you also know Vietnamese as well? Barely. Okay. I can like order food in Vietnamese, mm -hmm. but that's as far as it goes. Okay. Um, that's why I'm like really excited for like the Fulbright thing. Right, we'll talk about that in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and uh, you know, so. Quick question, actually. So you said you played piano and, and violin. Do you still play, or, or I don't play as much here. Okay. Um, I think growing up, I played it a lot because it was home. Um, like I had a piano at home, and I mm -hmm. could just like dabble on it whenever. Here, it's like really hard to. I, I don't have the same discipline. Okay. Um, and I also wanted to focus on other things because um, I went to a music high school. Okay. And so I did a lot of music in high school. And then when I came here, I really wanted to focus on academics and other forms of extracurriculars. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about those in a little bit also. <laughs> so, uh, what kind of kid were you in high school? So you said you went to a music high school. So what? What is it? Essentially, like one big high school band camp experience, <laughs> um, or is it uh, like how? What kind of kid were you in high school? I guess. And what were your aspirations for going to college and afterwards? Yeah. Um, so in high school, I would definitely say I was like the quiet kid. Mm -hmm. um, I had like two really close friends that I just hung around. My high school, like each class was about 65. Okay. So it was a very small high school. Wow, yeah. um, and it was very clicky. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really fit in with the jocks. I didn't really fit in with like the drama kids and the mm -hmm. performing arts kids. But um, I had friends who, like, we had very distinct tastes mm -hmm. in a lot of different things, but we really got to become really close friends. Um, and so, I was very quiet. I didn't. I wasn't really involved with high school. I didn't have a lot of different opportunities in high school. So, like, you know, when I came to Penn, people talked about like having been to like debate clubs mm -hmm. and um, science Olympiads and math Olympiads. Like, I was like, what is that? Yeah. Um, my high school didn't offer that. My high school was very much like orchestra, band, uh, concert choir, choir, mm -hmm. um, theater, and things like that. Um, and honestly, like. I, growing up, like, my parents was, like, jokingly talked about, like, oh, David, like, maybe you should be, like, a lawyer or a doctor yeah. or the president or a businessman or something. Yeah. It was some sort of, like, aspiration. But at the end of the day, my parents were like, okay, but do whatever you want to, like, it makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And when I was, like, dabbling in the music and the, and the performing arts, my mom, like, even joked about, like, oh, like, maybe you should go on, like, American Idol or, like, yeah. X Factor or um, America's Got Talent. So, like, they were very open. Mm -hmm. um, and so... It wasn't until like my like junior year of high school, I was like, oh, I definitely want to consider being a doctor. Okay. Um, and it really stemmed from the fact that like growing up without health insurance, I knew that there were many people like myself mm -hmm. who didn't really get a chance to, um, who really, who didn't really get to take advantage or even like enjoy some of the basic medical care that's offered. Right. Um, and I always like. My family and I were always going to the clinic for like flu shots and mm -hmm. like physical checkups and things like that. Um, and I thought that there wasn't, en there weren't enough doctors mm -hmm. in those clinics. And so I wanted to be a doctor to really kind of meet those needs and serve those needs and serve right. people who come from like similar backgrounds as myself. Um, but like now that like my parents got me, got us on like Medicaid, I think okay. it's definitely helped in terms of health insurance. But when I came in to college, I felt like I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to go straight through and be a doctor. Right. Okay. We'll talk about how that happened <laughs> for you. Um, but I guess one quick question. So then, um, so the, first off, before we get to my, my usual question, I ask everyone of like, you know, why did you end up choosing to apply to and ultimately come to Penn? Um, I know that you, like, you've been super involved in first generation low income, uh, Finley stuff uh, here on campus. And um, I wonder how, like, how, how did that affect, like, being, having that experience affect your college application period at all? Because I know a lot of people, like, um, like sometimes people make assumptions about oh yeah you can do this to apply but that's not something that's immediately easily for Finley students to do. Yeah. Um, like, can you give any examples or stories for you know people maybe who are listening to this podcast who don't know what that's going on like that? Yeah. Um, to be quite honest, my high school like Philadelphia was facing a lot of different budget cuts, mm -hmm. particularly within the education system, and I didn't have a high school counselor to help me apply to college. So a lot of the, my entire application process was a basically a result of like Google searches, mm -hmm. um, emailing professors or like emailing like um, administrators here, asking like, hey, like what is FAFSA? What is financial aid? What is you know all these different documents? Like what are tax returns? And like trying to figure that out for my parents, um, and so. 
I think that in itself was like an, an entire experience that was shaped from the fact that like I come from a very much more disadvantaged background. Like yeah. students here are very high caliber, come from a very much more advantageous background and have mm -hmm. those types of resources, parents who could look over their essays and like, I didn't have parents who could do that. I didn't have a college counselor to help me think about college. Um, I didn't really talk about being a first-gen low-income student in my application right. because I didn't know that was a thing. I thought, I thought everyone was like me. I mm -hmm. thought, you know, I thought every, people like suffered didn't like. I thought yeah. people didn't have like lunch or people didn't have breakfast or people didn't have high school counselors. I thought like this was a nationwide thing. I was mm. very much in a pet, like a Philly bubble right. um, because like a lot like the people I grew up with came from similar backgrounds. Um, they didn't have parents who could help them out either. So I thought, oh, like this must be like a thing nationwide. Um, and it wasn't until I came to Penn when I realized like my first time low income identity was very prominent. Mm -hmm. um, it was very obvious to me. Like, you know, I, I, I like tell I tell a lot of my friends like, oh, like I remember when I graduated from high school, I bought my first North Face jacket. Yeah. And I thought like, oh, like I totally like prepared for Penn now. Like I'm like I can at least try and look like everyone else. But like people here wear like Canada yeah, goose. goose, and so. I was like, wow, like I just spent $99 on this one jacket, but people are walking around with like jackets that are like $1,000. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, I wasn't prepared for that. So that's when my identity became very much obvious. Right. And that's super insightful. Thanks for, for sharing that. Of course, um, yeah. Uh, I think definitely like sharing those experiences so people can hear about them is super, I guess, super um, illuminating, I guess. Uh, so what, okay, so I guess you, you were able to figure out the college application yeah. process. So what led you to decide to apply to Penn? Um, I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's some Philadelphia factor that's in there, but um, what led you to, to apply to Penn? Um, and then ultimately from, you know, if you had to choose to come to Penn in the end. Um, so I mentioned like coming from a, where like my high school was kind of, it didn't have a lot of resources. Um, and so that actually, like, what motivated me was the fact that I didn't have AP classes in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't feel challenged in high school. I didn't feel as I was being pushed to my limits or my potential. Every day was kind of like getting by, and I was doing fairly well. Um, and I came across this opportunity at Penn called the Young Scholars Program, okay. where high school students in Philadelphia, if they they have to apply, have to meet a certain GPA requirement, get letters of recommendation, um, that. Oh, actually, backtrack that. I came across a summer program here at Penn okay. called the Chemistry Research Academy, yeah. um, where students got to get exposed to like different fields of chemistry, different studies in chemistry, and different disciplines and like careers within chemistry. And I was really interested in chemistry mm -hmm. at the time. And um, I applied. I got in. I was super excited. I was like, this was like my first time applying for anything, and really get, like I never had this opportunity before. Yeah. After spending a summer here at Penn, I was like, wow, I really, really like this. Um, and so then I applied to the Young Scholars Program, where I got to take classes here um, at the university, and like I took Math 103 and Math okay. 104, nice. and I was like, this. Was, I was doing really well in my classes. I like being in high school, and like I was like. I wasn't challenged in high school. I didn't feel challenged. Um, and then I wanted to be challenged academically. And so when I started taking classes here, I was challenged in that way. I really fell in love with that type of like academic rigor. Mm -hmm. Very naive thinking about that. <laughs> um, it's a whole different ballpark once you are a college student. Um, but I did really well in my classes. And I was like, if I can do well in these classes, like I think Penn is the right fit for me. Um, and so like, I spoke with some Penn students here actually because of the classes that I yeah. took and I was like, you know, like, what are your thought processes in applying to college and like, you know, I got a chance to hear from their experiences and whatnot. And so when I applied, I applied early decision nice. and I was so committed to coming here. I like fell in love with the university, um, but ultimately it was like given the academic, the taste that I got through like the summer program with the Young Scholars program, mm -hmm. um, I realized like Penn was a perfect fit and I have no regrets yeah. flying here. Yeah, totally. Uh, we, we're glad you, you ended up <laughs> here. So let's hop into your time at Penn. So kind of as we've alluded to, you came in wanting to do, I'm guessing pre-med? Yeah, definitely. Um, it sound, and, and you ultimately ended up not, not graduating pre-med, correct? Yeah. Uh, so what did you end up graduating with class of 2018? Yeah, um, I came into Penn wanting to do biochemistry. Mm -hmm. um, Midway through my junior year, oh, I wow. realized I hate it. Okay, I, I, that's a strong word. I was not as invested mm -hmm. in the sciences and the medical life. So this is 
three and like two and a half two and a half years in. Yeah, okay. two and a half years in Japan. I realized I took all of my pre med classes except for Orgo Lab, okay. and I realized that I did not want to be a doctor. I honestly thought I could fake it till I made it, but in reality, I came to realize that I didn't. I didn't come from like an AP background. It didn't come from an IB background. And so when I hit the ground running here at Penn, a lot of the students in my class had already taken those classes. Had most of them had gotten fives on their AP exams, mm -hmm. and like Gen Chem was a review for them. Gen Chem like was not a review for me. Um, like the last thing my high school taught me was like stoichiometry, and like that was the first thing that was covered in the first day of class. And it was hard because a lot of your STEM classes and like pre-med classes, you're like curved against each other. Right. And here I am competing with students who were Olympiads, math science Olympiads, and like were killing the game. Had like could have those types of conversations with teachers. Like for me, like I thought I could do my best, or I did do my best. Mm -hmm. I got a tutor um, that I met with twice a week yeah. for an hour each. Um, I went to the Weingarten Learning Center thinking that like they could help me, but I wasn't performing as well as my peers and my classmates, and I didn't know what I was doing wrong. Um, I met with like upperclassmen who helped me out and still at the end of the day it was like really difficult because like I was still being I was still competing with students who knew the material already. Um, and so I actually decided to switch majors. Mm -hmm. um, I switched into health and societies and okay. I'm concentrating in healthcare markets and finance. Um, health and societies in the college? Yeah. Okay. So health and society HSOC for short is a major in the college. Mm -hmm. And I I took a few classes, like I took like medical anthropology, okay. uh, um, like I was so drawn to it because we got to talk about like public health, social determinants of health, um, a lot of things that were very relevant to me and like my experiences growing up and I saw my experiences being resonated in the course material and I was doing really well in those classes. I was able to engage critically with the material and like ask critical questions, but also be challenged in different ways. Um, and so ultimately, when I had switched majors, I knew it was the perfect. Like I, that was a that wasn't a mistake, and that was like I had wished I had known about HSOC or like was much more motivated to do HSOC coming into Penn. Um, but you know, I say like it's better late than never. Yeah, um, that, that's part of the reason we have like the four years yeah, to like figure yeah. it out. And I got to take classes in Wharton. I never thought like I was like whoa, like because my concentration like I've never taken classes in Wharton before, and like I really enjoyed my classes there. Mm -hmm. um, I think like looking back, maybe I would have considered like transferring to do like the healthcare uh, management concentration yeah. at Wharton, but I have no regrets. I really enjoyed both like the liberal arts side of HSOC, yeah. but with my concentration, it's much more like business based and um, application based. Hey, quick tangent, like I kind of I do I do sympathize with like coming into a class and then like everyone else already knows it, and then you're like, because uh, like my first two weeks at Penn, I came in, I actually took Mandarin as my language yeah. requirement, and it was like. Everyone in the class, except me and like one other guy, um, were Mandarin speakers, but they just didn't know how to write it, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so I was just so behind. I ended up dropping after two weeks. Uh -huh. um, luckily, there was a Filipino class, which I was able to take. <laughs> but anyway, that aside, so yeah, you, you. So what are some of the classes, either within your major or outside your major? Maybe some professors you'd like to shout out, maybe recommend um, that students give a, a mm -hmm. check, check out their classes. Interesting. Um, I liked Bio 446, okay. which is statistics for biologists. Okay. This is kind of this is a class that I took when I still thought I was pre-med. Mm -hmm. um, I just really liked it. The professor was engaging. Like um, he was just his name is um, Dr. Joshua Plotkin, I believe, okay. and he was just so funny and so chill. Mm -hmm. um, I also really liked my. Biochem class, <laughs> my introduction to biochemistry, mm -hmm. um, Chem 251 with Dr. Christensen. Mm -hmm. um, loved him. Monday, Mondays and Fridays, it was like 8.30 to 10 a.m. Oh, wow. Brutal, brutal man. Um, but I learned so much. He cold called, and I hate being cold called on, but I think it really taught me to like learn. But I think the class that I really loved the most was like FNAR 340, digital okay. photography. Okay. Um, I always was interested in like photography and I was like, you know, like, why not take this class now? Yeah. You know, like, when would I ever get a chance to take photography and yeah. like be graded on it? Um, so I really learned how to do like Photoshop and I learned to like do crits, um, critiques and yeah. like um, spending a, like basically the entire class session talking about everyone's work and like what worked, what didn't work. Um, 
what's great, what's my interpretation. So like, I really, really liked FNAF 340. I just didn't like that it was like three hours once a week. Yeah. But I spent, like, it was very therapeutic for me. Okay. To just go around and take photos and like, get friends to pose for me and stuff like that. All right, sounds good. And so, um, you know, in addition to your classes, you're like, everyone at Panic, obviously we're all here to learn and take classes, but we tend to like get involved in like a lot of other things outside <laughs> of class, um, oftentimes. So, um, as you mentioned, you're really involved in the Figly community here at yeah. Penn. So why don't you talk about, and you said like kind of like, how long did it take for you, you said like when, it was when you got to campus that you kind of discovered your Figly identity. Um, how long did it take for you to get that, to discover that, and from there get involved in the community? And what was the Figly community like on campus when you got here? Yeah, um, I did a kind of like this pre-college program called the Penn College Achievement Program or Penn PFP. Cap. Yeah, I did Penn Cap and I was in PFP, which is a pre-freshman program. Um, where I got to meet a lot of other Figly students, but we didn't like call ourselves Figly. Uh -huh. um, it was just like a lot of us knew what the struggle was. Um, we knew how to like navigate that experience. Um, so coming into Penn, like through that program, I had a sense of community. Mm -hmm. I had friends who understood what I was doing, and etc. But my freshman year, I applied. I remember I was very, very eager to get involved with whatever um, programs that were available, particularly through Patch. Yeah. And I remember coming across the peer mentoring program. Right. Yeah. And I was so early. I had emailed Kristen at the time, who was right. like the who's, chair. Who sees, he's, he's going to be on this podcast. I, either, I, either, I don't know when this is coming out exactly, but he's either had the past episode or it'll be in a uh, future episode. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so like I had emailed Kristen. I was like, hey, like, when are applications coming out for this mentoring program? Like, I would really value this, and I would really like to have a mentor. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, like, you're still pretty early. Like, we haven't sent anything out yet. Um, so like, I got into the peer mentoring program. Who's, who's your mentor? Matt Lee. Nice. Yeah, okay. he was such a well-rounded, bubbly guy. Um, Shout out to Matt. <laughs> he was a mentee when I was a mentor, actually. Wow, yeah. small world. Mm -hmm. Time flies. But through peer, I got to meet Z. Um, Z Yang Lin. Um, he's from West Philly mm -hmm. or Southwest. One of them. I think West Philly. He's from West Philly. Um, he knew my cousin, okay. um, who was also from West Philly. And coming into college, I kind of like knew someone from Philly already. Um, we like talked a little bit, but when I found out he was in the peer mentoring program, like I think we connected instantly. Um, because like his accent came out, like his Philly accent came out, so my Philly accent came out, and like we just like bonded over that, and, like we just like connected on like different Wait, levels. Is, is this your Philly accent? Or no. How, how deep does your Philly accent go? It depends. Like I feel like my Philly accent doesn't come out until like I'm speaking to someone. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like I got a chance to like talk to Z and um, really get to connect with him. And so, um, freshman year, I wasn't involved with the first general commu community because I didn't know one existed here. Mm -hmm. um, my freshman year was like the first IVG conference at Brown. Okay. Um, and what's and IVG? So IVG is the intercollegiate first generation conference. Okay. Um, brings together students from across the country. Um, so like Ivy League Plus, where students who come from first gen backgrounds can essentially have a weekend like community building, discussions, workshops. Um, and I remember Penn First was established that year. And Penn okay. First is kind of like the first generation, I think it was the first first gen club here on campus. Mm -hmm. um, they do a lot of advocacy work, they do a lot of programming and um, offer different types of services and they work a lot with administrators to do like kind of like, um, like improve programming for first gen low income students. And it was my sophomore year when I became chair of the peer mentoring program. Mm -hmm. And I remember speaking with Viraj, who's the associate director of, the, of Patch, yeah. and thinking about like recruitment for like the incoming class of freshman students and I remember thinking like I believe that like students like myself would benefit from a program like this and that's when we started like doing advocacy work and like outreaching to students from first gen low income backgrounds who are Asian American students. These are students who are already at Penn or who are applying to? Who are like who committed and like when we were thinking about like, our outreaching for the peer mentoring program okay. for the incoming mentee class. Because of pre-freshman Yeah. Okay. So like we, we like taught I, that year um, where like my summer between my freshman and my sophomore year, mm -hmm. I was on campus in Philly, just like hanging out. Like I'm also from South Philly, so yeah. like I'm really close to here. And like I knew PenCap was happening, um, so like I worked a lot with like PenCap to recruit some um, Asian Asian American students to join the peer mentoring program. Okay, so quick question actually, I'm kind of curious because I know that like obviously um, like how 
Like, is, is there a way that the university kind of marks on the, well, I mean, I, just for my curiosity, is, it, is there a way that the university marks on someone's application or whatever that they are F, like, Figly, basically? Mm -hmm. um, and that lets you, like, you know, go through, a like, go through a database and get those number, those, like, names and, like. I'm sure the university has that. I think there is a first-gen marker. Mm -hmm. um, Low-income marker, I think, is just based on, like, are you a Pell Grant recipient? Okay. Um, do you receive financial, like, things like that. I don't think there's a, an actual, because there's, like, low-need, mid-need, high-need, yeah. low-income students. Um, but I think there is a first-gen marker. Um, but students don't have access to that. Yeah. Um, so that, like, makes it, that makes it difficult to, like, yeah. do this kind of stuff. Yeah. But, you know, you tap into different groups, um, like PenCap, for example, and, like, asking them to send it out to their listserv to see if any okay. students might be interested um, in joining the peer mentoring program. So that's how I've, like, done my own outreach. Um, my sophomore year, I worked with Z um, and Jingjing mm -hmm. um, to co-found 78. Okay, so talk us about tell us about 78. Uh, so 78 comes from the Japanese proverb: "You fall down seven times, stand up eight, mm -hmm. To really highlight the like the experiences of first-gen low-income students, like highlight our endurance, our perseverance, our grit. Um, and it was it really came from the fact that like Z, Jingjing, and I were just like hanging out and talking about like our experiences mm -hmm. being first-gen low-income and Asian American, and it was. I think Peter also really encouraged this. Peter and Peter Van Do. So yeah, he was yeah. like talking about like maybe you should have a group or a club on campus that creates a space for students. And you know after like a couple of months, we like organized like different uh, dinners um, at Patch. Um, we invited Figley students to come. Um, we like just like ranted, like had like venting sessions, mm -hmm. and it was like unfiltered and unregulated and unmoderated, and we just like sat together and like talked about like how like Penn was really like not the place for us mm -hmm. um, but I think we transitioned very quickly to become a space of like productive comp communication and productive and effective like dialogue mm -hmm. um, so we started talking about in what ways can the university improve themselves or like in what ways can we better support each other um, and that essentially grew into kind of more structured dinners um, so we started like having bi-weekly or even monthly dinners where students in our listserv will come out we eat like Han Dynasty or um, Kati rolls or right. Honest Toms, and like um, through the support of VPOL and Patch, we were able to like have these dinners. Um, and then we started offering like financial subsidies for students um, in seven eight. So for students who go out to shows, we can reimburse them um, mm -hmm. for going out. So just to, like eliminate any financial barriers that they might have, because we know that like a lot of us want to go to shows, but like sometimes we don't have eight dollars ready or ten dollars or fifteen dollars, yeah. and so. Um, we try to eliminate those barriers so students are able to attend those types of shows. Okay, um, yeah, that's super great. Um, then you also are involved with something called the Collective Success, which I believe you founded. Yeah. Uh, so what is the Collective Success? It's, it's another Figly tech program, correct? Yes. Um, so the Collective Success Network is a nonprofit that I helped co-found about a, a little over a year ago. Um, the Collective Success Network essentially provides, it, it's to meet the professional needs of first-gen low-income students in the greater Philadelphia area. And this happened because like, I had switched out of pre-med. Right, so this is your junior year. Yeah. I switched out of pre-med and I was like, oh my god, everyone's doing OCR, like, what is that? You know, like, what is business? What is recruiting? What is an interview? Like, right. what is a resume? So this kind of, is, it feels like it's an extension of your college application experience yeah. where you just like, 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 if you come from the, you know, you have, family or whatever who's done it before you know like how the process works yeah. but don't have that we didn't have that Figley students did not have that we don't have the social and professional capital to connect with like someone from Bain or BCG or mm -hmm. McKinsey or you know Goldman Sachs you know like a lot of our peers do a lot of our peers have that type of connection or at least can understand what it means to go into that field or that mm -hmm. industry um, I understand like being at Penn like we get that type of exposure even though it's minimum I think we were still very disadvantaged mm -hmm. and so I worked with some students um, from Drexel, some students from Penn, um, as well as like a lot of professionals in Philadelphia to launch this nonprofit. Um, we obtained like 501c3 status, I believe, like last year, and nice. um, we essentially offer. So it's so the non, so collective success is kind of like um, I, there's two ways to think about it. One, like we offer intercollegiate programming, so students from across the city can essentially take advantage of that. So like in our intercollegiate programming, we offer like a mentoring program. We offer a career guidance program. Mm -hmm. We offer um, 
learning events, which are basically like intercollegiate workshops that anyone can go to, and we offer um, company visits. So some of the organizations that we partner up with, students can like check out the company, go visit them, see what a day in a life at like Ernst & Young is. Yeah. Um, but then we also offer chapter-specific programming. Um, I served as the co-chair for the Penn chapter, and we mm -hmm. call ourselves the Collective Success at Penn, CSAP for short. Mm -hmm. um, Drexel launched their um, chapter, and they call themselves like Dragons First. Mm -hmm. Temple launched theirs, and they're called Temple First. Um, we're currently working with CCP Community College of Philadelphia to see if we can launch a chapter yeah. there. We've gotten interest from like Bryn Mawr and Swarthmore to launch chapters mm -hmm. there. Um, but I, I oversaw kind of like the Penn chapter, and so like. Um, we focused on like on on campus recruiting and OCR because that's not something that like other schools will focus on. Um, we try to work with alumni to invite them back here to speak to our students. We've organized like intercollegiate events. So like last semester we organized like um, this communications workshop with someone from Wharton, and she led us kind of like in a, in an interactive conversation of like you know when you're sitting in, across from an interviewer like what are some questions you can ask? How do you position yourself? How do you sit yeah. in that interview? Um, you know, which would come naturally to some students, but we're not familiar with that. Yeah. Um, and then this past semester, or this semester, like another one of my board members led like breaking into tech event. You know, like inviting voices from different like industry leaders within tech to talk about their experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically, the collective success is really to work towards meeting the professional needs of first-time low-income students in Philadelphia mm -hmm. um, as we're continuing to expand and build on our programming. Um, we're really excited to see kind of like what the future will look like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a lot. That's super great. Um, one quick question, and this is almost kind of like a devil's advocate question, I guess. So it looks like, so Penn First obviously exists, and that's kind of like the first Fugly program out there. Um, and then you have 7-8, which is an APA-specific one, and then I guess CSAP, which is, a, I guess, more professional-focused mm -hmm. one. So I guess, um, that was an advocate question, I guess. For someone who might not understand, why do we need all these separate Figly programs when you know you have you already had one in Penn first? What's the need for the separate ones? Yeah, I think there are so many different approaches, mm -hmm. so many different types of ideas and strategies that people want to go about doing things. Um, Penn first, I think they do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, but my understanding of Penn first, like they do a lot of like administrative lobbying kind of like okay. working with the university to figure out in what ways can the university improve their services to better support first-time income students. Okay. Um, they've done collaborations with career services, they've done collaborations um, with the GIC and the FIGME program um, and so I think they're really rooted in like the university. Mm -hmm. um, Seven eight is much more of like a community building type of group. Okay. From, yeah. the, from, from yeah. the student, built by the yeah. students. Okay. Yeah, so we just eat and talk and figure out like in what ways can we support each other and like how can we build a community of fresh and low-income Asian American students mm -hmm. um, and we have like thanks to VPOL and Patch we're able to have that financial support but with um, um, CSAT we wanted to focus more on like professional development okay. um, we're not focused necessarily on community development even though like inherently it, there is development of community there but we're focused more on like the professional needs um, but I saw this as an opportunity for me to like be entrepreneurial, but also like build on my leadership capabilities mm -hmm. of like building an organization um, and leading an organization in that way. Um, but yeah, there's obviously like, different like bureaucracy and like those types of questions to be asked in like different organizations. But I think I saw collective success as an opportunity to build something that I saw was a need and figure out what ways can we serve those needs. Okay, um, and then also this last semester you were involved with the IVG conference. Yes. Which is, which is the first one was at Brown, your freshman year, and finally came to Penn. Um, so you were involved, how exactly were you involved? And, and can you just tell us about like that weekend, basically? Yeah, so the IVG conference, okay. I was the co-director of student programming. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with another first-gen low-income Asian American student who's also on board with 7-8, her okay. name's Kathy Tran, and she was like my partner in crime. Um, and essentially, so like IVG was founded about four years ago at Brown, and then it was hosted at Harvard, and then it was hosted at Yale, and then this year was like the biggest conference yet was hosted at Penn. Mm -hmm. um, and the IVG conference, our theme was focusing on the future, mm -hmm. developing leadership skills, um, post-grad success, um, and also just like um, community, what was it? It was change of some yeah. sort. Um, and I was responsible for like developing 15 unique workshops wow. um, with Kathy. And so we spearheaded the development of like an organization of like 15 different workshops. And 
We worked with a lot with the GIC and the Figby program. Um, we actually brought back Eugenia O. Yeah. Um, and she was like our keynote speaker. So will, I'm trying to get her on the podcast at some point. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> She's awesome. Um, and tell the Eugenia. <laughs> and. Uh, um, essentially, it was a weekend of like community building. We had um, uh, and workshops and discussions. So like we had um, conversations, like facilitated conversations. Yeah. What were some of the workshops that, that you guys came up with? Um, one workshop that um, I invited some Penn alumni, mm -hmm. um, Cindy Ventala and Sash Ventala, and some of their friends. Um, Cindy is a first-gen student, or was a first-gen student here. Uh, Wharton college grad, 1991, mm -hmm. and then Wharton MBA, 1997. Her husband, same thing. But her husband went to like Columbia Business school and um, they helped me or they, they essentially like, took on the lead of like leading um, this workshop called effective strategies um, for career planning in the job search so they were kind of like hitting on like the professional needs of like this is kind of like how you structure your interview or your resume this is how you think about like recruiting or how you think about like different job searches um, and a lot of students came out to that because they were very interested in learning about how can they leverage themselves as first-gen low-income students to be successful in whatever industry that they want to go into um, we've also invited Leanne Hubner back, um, graduated from Penn, um, went to Harvard Business School, and then she also launched Minds Matter, which mm -hmm. is a national nonprofit organization, pipeline program for high, disadvantaged high school students to get into the best colleges in the country. Um, and she kind of like led this workshop on like, when you're in the fork in a road, like what do you do? Yeah. She shared her experiences in that way, um, but essentially like. It was a weekend of just like so many different workshops to fit um, what our theme was, focusing on the future. Um, and one of the best experiences of my life, I think, I got to enjoy the conference from a different perspective. Um, more on the organization side, like kind of seeing like, you know, how are students really engaging with all of this? And like, it's really, it was really, really nice to hear from them and saying like, you know, this is like the best conference. Yeah, as, as someone who's organized like a conference here at Penn for uh, kind of in collaboration with ICASU, um, uh, when I was a senior, yeah, that, that definitely like being on one side is completely different. Yeah, and definitely. A lot more running around, like trying to make yeah, sure. Yeah, it was working. very much a lot of like a running around, making sure like the panelists had water and making yeah. sure like snacks were available and making sure people knew where the classrooms were at. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of running around, but I got to enjoy some parts of it. All right, that's great. Um, yeah, so I think that's pretty. Oh, one quick question actually I was going to ask. So, what is, um, what is, uh, misconception I think that people who aren't Figley will have about Figley students or Figley individuals um, that I guess you'd like to debunk or something like that? I think a misconception is that I think people in my understanding doubt our capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like people may doubt our skill set, may doubt our um, passion and drive to learn um, there's two things like that kind of like thinking about like the fact that some people recognize that we don't come or like we didn't have the same resources as them and so they might not think we're as like high caliber as them but we are just as high caliber if not more I, yeah I think you know? if anyone if anyone looks at you as a model I think they'll definitely <laughs> have that misconception um, so it's a lot of misconception that a lot of us come from the hood that um, we come from these disadvantaged backgrounds that we don't know how to like navigate like yeah that's tr true in some ways um, but that doesn't mean that we can't mm -hmm. navigate college and we we oftentimes do um, that's one misconception and two another misconception or even just like the assumption that people overlook is like a lot of my peers don't question finance mm -hmm. or like money you know a lot of them have money readily available can travel to different places can fly out to whatever wherever yeah. whenever and you know sometimes they overlook the fact that like you know first-gen low-income students low-income students are like we're, we're, we exist yeah um, we can't go to a BYO every week sometimes we can't even go for a semester you know and I think a lot of time people overlook that there are financial barriers for many of us but I think many of us have grown to be much more cognizant I can't say the entire university has been cognizant um, but I would say like 
definitely in the spaces that I do occupy, like financial barriers are a thing, um, and people are much more cognizant to, or, or much more considerate of that reality, and trying to figure out ways in which we can do affordable um, activities that don't require twenty-five dollars. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that is through the work you've done to raise awareness <laughs> for this. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, I definitely think there's so much more work to be done, and I, this is definitely not an independent, um, personal, like one per. Like I did not do all of this. I'm right. really grateful to have other first low-income student leaders on campus, both within the Asian American community or the Asian community, um, but also outside, and I think, um, like again, like this wasn't my own thing. I think I was part of the movement, and I don't think the movement has ended. Mm -hmm. um, I think I was there at the start of like when Figley movement was a thing, um, but that doesn't mean like Figley students didn't exist before um, this movement be caught right. uh, more attention. We were actually talking yesterday. UPenn was talking yesterday with um, Heidi, I think, who's the yeah. B seven eight yeah. chair. Um, we were talking that yeah, like there has to be alum who have graduated, um, even UPenn alum who graduated Figley in the past. Just it was never a thing that anyone thought about. Basically, yeah. so um, I know one thing that you pants after that conversation with her, we'll, we'll, we're still working again. I don't know when this episode comes out, so maybe the details might have changed. But we are thinking about like trying to develop a yeah. UPenn mentorship program between you know alumni who were Figley or even like non not yeah. Figley, but specifically targeting Figley students yeah. on campus. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. So how can how would you say you know that that's one way that UPenn is going to be trying to like help work with Figley students on campus. What's another way anyone, if they're interested in getting involved in helping out, what's ways that they can do that? Um, so I'm trying to think about like how will I want to give back. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be involved with UPenn. I want to be involved. We're willing. <laughs> I want to be able to, as an alumni, be able to help mm -hmm. first-time American students here. So how I imagine is like connecting with the resource centers here on campus. So like putting like Patch, for example, or the GIC or the Figley program, um, and saying like that's what helped me because like there were some alumni who came through the GIC and was like. I want to help students who are interested in healthcare consulting, and I got a mentor through that. And she kind of like met with me like once a month to talk about what consulting looked like. She cased me. She talked to me about like what the industry looks like, um, and got me to think more critically of what a career in consulting looks like. Um, and that's what I want to also do. Like, reach out to Patch and say like, hey. I want to help out whatever student who's interested in applying for Fulbright, who's interested in consulting. I can connect them with some of my friends. Like, yeah, I'm not working at McKinsey or Bain or BCG, but I've got plenty of friends who are very much interested in giving back and helping out. So, like, how can I connect some of the current students here with some of the leading professionals in a lot of these industries that many Figley students don't think that they can that they have a chance at or a shot at? Mm -hmm. um, I also want to be able to like uh, make myself much more readily available. I think that's like one way in which I want to help out is like being an informal mentor and making myself readily available. Um, also being brutally honest about, or like being honest about kind of the experiences that I've had. Like I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Like my four years here have been very bittersweet. There are a lot of like growing pains that I've had, but at the end of the day, I'm very fortunate to be where I am today. Um, it wasn't a walk in the park. Um, but nothing that's worth it really is, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've hit plenty of rock bottoms, and I think really humanizing the experiences will definitely give students a better understanding, a better perspective. But I think it goes beyond just sharing like the downfalls, but also thinking about or sharing kind of like what have you done or what have I done to get out of that to overcome some of these obstacles and barriers. Mm -hmm. And I think it gives students the opportunity to learn from your experience of like what worked and what didn't work for you, and for them to gain that and also tailor their own approaches to whatever obstacle to be successful in their undergrad career. All right, that was very eloquent. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I guess um, I guess before we head to and again, you don't have a lot of you don't really have anything yet post yet. You have some plans, which we'll talk about. But um, before we get to that, what impact and legacy do you, would you like to think you will have left at Penn when you graduate three weeks from now? <sighs> again, like I don't think this is like. <sighs> it's not an easy question. Like, Everyone struggles with this question. Yeah, I, I don't think this is again. Like I don't think this is. I'm solely responsible for this, but I think I was part of a generation, a part of a movement that is that has worked towards destigmatizing the first-gen low-income identity. Mm -hmm. um, like when I was a freshman, I didn't really talk about it until I got to a poly. Yeah. And I was like, I realized I was, maybe I was the only first time low income student, but we did like this privilege walk and I was like so far in the back of the privilege. And I remember crying a lot about that. Um, but 
when I was a freshman, I didn't really talk about being first-gen low-income. But here I am engaging with so many first-gen low-income students and like they are openly talking about that. They are feeling so empowered to talk about their identities. And I think I was part of the movement that created the space for them to do that, to destigmatize what it means to be first-gen low-income. Um, and so like, I think that's one legacy that I've left behind is like the fact that now we are in a place where we can openly and comfortably talk about it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not like 100%. I think there's still more work that needs to be done. Right. Um, but it's really, really inspiring and also exciting to see that you know there are first-year students here who are able to think more critically about their experiences and to talk about their experiences in a very much productive way um, and to see kind of the next generation of student leaders in the Figley community who are going to do very big and amazing things. Right. I, I remember I was at the um, at the Power, for, Power of Penn like thing. In New York City? In New York City. Yeah. And then Amy, Amy Evan talked that like, yeah, Penn's going to be working toward like a, a Figley resource center yeah. uh, for you guys. So that's super great. I'm looking forward to seeing that come out. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, so moving to your life post, but we've been doing this a couple of times, but congratulations because you actually got uh, Fulbright English teaching. Um, yeah. Uh, fellowship? Yes. Assistantship. Assistantship, yeah. yes. ETA, okay. yeah. Okay, so um, why don't you talk to us about that? What led you to decide to apply to Fulbright? Yeah. Um, so I mentioned before that I'm half Chinese, half Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Both my parents are like, were born and raised in Vietnam. My mom is, again, like ethnically Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, both of my parents gave up their education to flee the war, to flee the country, given the, everything that was going on, became refugees in like, I think they were in the Philippines for a bit, okay. and then they were in, the, in Malaysia for a little bit, um, and then they came to the United States, and once they came to the U.S., they hit the ground running. And What did they do that out of curiosity? Um, my dad works as a fish salesman. Okay. Um, he works at the Reading Terminal Market selling seafood. Uh, my mom doesn't work. Okay. Um, and so... Had I was thinking about like the fact that you know, had my parents not given up education, I would not be here today. I would not be at an Ivy League institution. Yeah. I would not be getting this degree. I would not be having so many different types of resources and um, opportunities that my parents didn't have. And I saw the Fulbright opportunity for me to give back, mm-hmm. um, go back to a country where my parents have always called home, um, to teach English, to be part, to be an educator in that way. And I saw this as like coming full circle. Um, I saw this as like connecting with the with my roots um, and being able to like just go back. Um, essentially where my parents have always called home and to like be that um, coming like full circle mm-hmm. in a way um, and you know that was like my hugest motivation okay how was the application process like because we actually interviewed Grace Trong um, yeah who, who she did the fellowship yeah, research yeah, yeah. One, she did the so research one still like how was, how was that how was the ETA is it any different or how, how was that process for you um, I don't know how the research or the grad school app is for Fulbright but I think for me it was like two essays and some host countries will do like an interview Vietnam did interview okay. me um, and essentially it was like why Fulbright and then um, like why this country mm-hmm. um, so like I talked about a lot of like my dad yeah um, talking about like my dad like his experiences being in Vietnam growing up in Vietnam and then coming here and then working automatically to create this future mm-hmm. for me and my family um, and despite not having a formal education he's one of the most intelligent men I've ever have known in my entire life um, taught me so many different things and um, you know, I talked about how I wanted to integrate like health literacy into the classroom. Um, I talked about how like Penn has taught me indirectly to think much more critically about life, mm-hmm. to talk, like to think critically about anything and everything. And that's what I wanted to offer into the classroom. Um, I want like I learned a lot outside the classroom. Um, particularly through Patch, through my leadership roles, and through like the organizations that I've served. And I wanted to, you know, enter a classroom and kind of like offer that to students. Um, and so, like, after that, I found out I was, like, a semifinalist in, like, February or March, and then Vietnam interviewed me, like, asked me similar questions, and, like, I was very brief interviews, like, 30 minutes long. Um, it's, like, a 13-hour time difference, or 12, or 11. One of those. Somewhere around there, yeah. Somewhere around there, yeah. Um, I remember I almost missed it because um, I didn't realize, like, I was, like, I put it in my calendar, but... I was like, okay, I calculated the diff- the time difference. <laughs> it was a daylight savings. It was, yeah, something had happened. And I was like, wait, I'm supposed to have my interview in two hours, but they just sent me an email saying like, oh, we're, like, we're looking forward to see you in an hour. And I was like, well, what? Um, and I remember there was like an Oracle. <laughs> we had our smoker that night. And oh, so man. like, I was like, I, had, I was already in my like, attire. So like I ran from the, the smoker back to my room and like had the interview. But nice. also, like definitely everything worked out. 
Okay, very nice. Yeah. Um, and then you also, um, while you were doing full by, you also recruiting, and you, you got actually got an offer as, as an analyst um, at the company in SF, right? Yeah, I'll be working. I would have been working as an operation associate mm -hmm. at Collective Health. Um, and Collective Health is like this startup, a very mature startup. Mm -hmm. um, they have like they're a growing company, and essentially like they help. Um, employers mm -hmm. develop better healthcare plans that are very individualized to that um, company um, to really disrupt the health insurance industry um, to be much more effective and efficient. Mm -hmm. So you were, were you going back to them after yes. after Fulbright? Yes. Cool. So, so after Fulbright, I'll be I'll be going to San Francisco and starting a new chapter. Right, you, can, you can get involved with the UPAN SF chapter then. Awesome. Yeah, I'd be uh, completely down for that. Yeah, I guess aside from Fulbright, aside from Collective uh, Health, which you seem to like companies with Collective. <laughs> uh, but aside from those, do you have any other plans? Anything else you're looking forward to in the immediate future. I know it's a lot with graduation and such coming up. But yeah, um, so this hasn't been made official yet, but um, I'm actually launching a second nonprofit organization oh, nice. called Rise First. Um, okay. And I'm working with Cindy Ventala, who was actually um, helped lead um, one of the workshops at IBG for, okay. for the conference, um, working with her and a number of other Penn students to launch this comprehensive online tech platform for first-time low-income students across the country. Mm -hmm. um, so students can access different resources through this platform and gain resources and gain opportunities that they otherwise would have missed. Um, we obtained 501c3 status already. Nice. Um, we're just working, like it's a lot of like, like front-loading the work right now. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like what I'm really excited for right now. I'm like super motivated to do this project. Right. Depending on when this episode comes out, when 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 you're expecting it to launch? We're expecting it to launch um, kind of like July. Okay. Soft launch is like beta launch is like the July time frame, and then once okay. school kicks up, it would be fully right. launched. I'll get the link for you so I can include that in the in the show notes. Awesome. Um, if, if people are interested in, in helping out with that. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. And you kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but how um, do you think your pen experience has influenced everything? You've been? Obviously, you've only done for <laughs> the past four years, but how do you think you've changed as an individual wow. from when you've when you came in as a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed pre-med freshman to now going off to Vietnam to teach English with a HSOC degree, yeah. having done so many things? How do you think you've changed as an individual? That's a very big question. I've changed literally every semester, hopefully for the better. Um, I think. I've changed the way I perceive life um, in the sense that like feeling lucky to be a pen versus feeling deserving to be a pen. Right. I think that was a long narrative that took me quite some time to unpack, unlearn, and relearn. Um, I think my perspective on life has changed tremendously in the way that, you know, I always go back to this phrase of like, you know, when life closes a door on you, my move is not to walk away, but to break a window. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've learned to think about in what ways can I access resources or in what ways can I provide resources for students like myself. Um, you know, there are many times when doors have closed on me, but I'm really, really proud of myself for not turning back. I've thought about it, obviously. Yeah. I've considered, like, okay, I could just give up. I don't have to get a college degree. I don't have to do any of this. And my parents didn't do this, and they are great, you know. Um, and my parents were never pressuring me to go to college. And so there were many times where I, like, questioned whether or not I should be in college. And I think I've broken many windows. Um, I've connected with a lot of different resources and resources and taken advantage of those resources that have allowed me to grow substantially. And I think that's how I've like really thought about my life moving forward. Just like when facing a roadblock, there are so many windows that you can break. Which one do you want to break? And how are you going to like succeed and thrive in that way? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think if, for all that you've done, I think you also helped Penn grow as a result. <laughs> so thank you for all that. Um, all right, so now we'll get to the rapid fire questions. So, so you alluded to one of these earlier, but we'll just top of mind, don't think too hard about these. Okay. Um, what is something making you happy right now? It's making me happy right now. Um, oddly speaking, I think graduating okay. is a very, it's going to be a very bittersweet moment, mm -hmm. but I'm going to be very happy to not necessarily end this chapter of my life, but I'm really excited to start the next chapter of my life. So that's making me really happy. All right, um, as you said, there are two types of pendulum, blank and blank. The pendulum who responds to your email 
um, as an undergrad looking for help, and then the Penn alumni who does it. Okay, well, uh, alumni listening, what's one of you? <laughs> um, all right, uh, what advice do you have for your high school self about to enter the Penn journey, and not even necessarily just yourself, but any Penn, anyone who's about to enter Penn, all the free frost walking around? Yeah, I think what I would tell them is like, it's not going to be easy, mm -hmm. but it's also not going to be not doable. Okay. Um, I would tell them that like it's going to get rough. It's going. You're going to hit rock bottom. Like be prepared for that. Like very like, many of us are very used to being like the big fish in a small pond, and like that might not necessarily be true when you come to Penn, but success is within reach. Um, I think something that like took me quite some time to recognize was like I. I felt like I couldn't do a lot of things. I didn't have the skill set, or I didn't have the resources. But and that, that led me to like really go downwards. Um, but what I want to like tell myself, or like high school students, is like come in dri like driven and motivated and passion passionate. And what you feel like you can't do, chances are you can. You just have to figure out how. Um, and be creative. Like I never thought I could co-found like so many different groups on campus. I never thought like I could be a leader in this way. And obviously, like being a leader isn't for everyone. There shouldn't be a pressure to be a leader. I think there should be a pressure to create an environment that's conducive to leadership development. But there shouldn't never be an expectation that everyone has to be a leader. Um, and so I think, you know, looking back, I would encourage people to be very creative. Do not think within the box, but to think outside of the box. Right. Totally. That's a lot, but definitely very valuable advice. Yeah. And I, 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 I recognize a lot of that advice as something I would also tell yeah. those students as well. Awesome. Um, and then, what's the biggest regret about Penn that you haven't done, that you, that you didn't get a chance to, that you wish you had done? I thought about this. I feel like I've done a lot of things that I wanted to do. Um, I think... Wow, what is something that I would like to do? Or you could be totally satisfied with your pen and, and I am very thing. satisfied with my pen experience. Um, I wish I would have connected more with alumni. Okay. As a freshman or a sophomore. It wasn't until like my senior year actually that I started talking to alumni. Mm -hmm. um, I wish that I would have done more like outreaching to alumni who come from similar backgrounds. Obviously, there's like the, the access gap, you know, yeah. not many alumni or, I don't know who was the first-gen low-income student, so, or who was a first-gen low-income student, and so, I think one regret that I have was, like, I would have, I would have felt as though I would have gotten a better, like, um, I would have had a better grounding had I reached out to alumni who've been where I was at, um, and hear from their experiences, just so I can get a better perspective of like, how I could navigate my undergrad career. Um, so I think that's another word for alumni, is, like, if you do come from these backgrounds, it's, like, really important that you also, like alumni who come from fresh mm -hmm. backgrounds, like to feel empowered to share their experiences too. Um, while the undergrads, while the current students are destigmatizing that, we also need uh, professionals to destigmatize that. Um, you know, like we talk about like diversity and inclusion, um, which are really great um, to include underrepresented folks, but there has been little movement in the professional world to include first-gen low-income professionals. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I want to bring to the table, and I want to encourage my other um, like my alumni to do that as well. Okay, definitely. That's definitely something we'll work towards. Um, what is something that uh, I didn't get to talk to you about that you wish I had gotten a chance to talk to you about? This is your place to talk about it. Oh, I don't know. Uh, or a question you wish I'd ask that I didn't ask. Question that you like to ask? I think just generally speaking, um, outside of everything Penn has offered, um, I just wanted to like comment that like, this has been a testament of not only the work of my family and my friends and my mentors and my advisors um, in the university, but also kind of like the staff that are often overlooked. Mm -hmm. um, that's like the allied security officers, mm -hmm. those are the, the lunch aides, mm -hmm. the cafeteria folks, the um, facilities and services folks. Like without them, we would not have an operating university mm -hmm. and so I definitely want to extend gratitude and mm -hmm. um, like a sincere thanks for the work that they've done that oftentimes we do overlook um, and give them more recognition because they are also the backbone of this university um, and you know like coming from my background like I would really appreciate if people could take some time out of the day to like connect with folks from those backgrounds or folks who are making this university much more or like making this university what it is today mm -hmm. um, 
And so like, yeah, I guess that's the last thing I wanted to share. All right, very, very well said. And on that note, is there anyone else you want to give a shout out to? Oh, uh, it's plenty of shout outs. You know, mom, dad, um, my family, my friends, you know, Peter Van Do, Viraj mm-hmm. uh, Patel, because um, um, so many, like Val de Cruz, Val Cade, um, Provost Pritchett, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, alumni, also like Will Wang, okay. Kristen Kelly, um, wow, there's so many people, there's, there's a lot. Yeah. Um, hopefully whoever's reading, whoever's listening to this, like, also shout out to you um, mm-hmm. for doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but shout out, shout out to the alumni listening in. Um, but yeah. All right. Sounds good. And okay, so is there any way people can find you online, get in touch with you if they want to talk? If maybe in the future some Figly student wants to reach out to a Figly alum, yeah. Uh, how can they get a hold of you? Social media, email, um, obviously yeah. anything else also you want to plug as well? Yeah. Um, I think you have my email. Mm-hmm. So, dmtai96gmail.com. Friend me on Facebook. I'm very accessible. I like, respond as best as I could. Um, find me on Instagram, David S. Tai. S is not my middle name, but if you pronounce it, it's like David's Tai. So, like, that's ah. you'll be like, figure it out. Um, but yeah, feel free to like email me, message me. I love talking to folks mm-hmm. and hearing from their experiences and hearing from their expectations of what they're getting themselves into when they're coming to Penn. Um, but yeah, I I want to I want to make myself fairly yeah. available. Any any projects you want to plug? I know you have the the startup coming the startup coming, but a nonprofit coming up. Anything else you want to plug? Um. No, I think All that's right. basically it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. No, David. thanks for chatting um, with me. Yeah, it's been great getting getting to catch up with you. And you know, we we've talked before, not not at this step. So yeah, I really appreciate this conversation. Yeah, I think I, I learned it. a lot. Um, <laughs> thanks. Thank I really you appreciate so much. this. Um, All right. Thank you. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thanks again to our guests for coming on the show and taking time out of the schedule to share their story and their wisdom. And thanks to you for listening. This show wouldn't be here without your support. Uh, you can subscribe and look at the show notes for the show, including the contact information for our guests at iTunes, the Google Play Store, or upenpodcast.podbean.com. Thanks again to Fortissimo for our, for our intro and outro music. You can follow him on SoundCloud and Facebook. Editing and production was provided by Ninsboy Media. Special thanks to the Pan Asian American Community House and Alumni Relations. A quick reminder, the views and opinions expressed on this show are those of those appearing on the podcast alone and do not reflect those of the University of Pennsylvania. If you have any questions or feedback, please follow up with us at upanpodcast at gmail.com or at our Facebook page. Till next time, this is your host, Paul Bautista, signing off. Remember, keep it fucking, folks. Bye.